One. Wait. Testing. Testing. Three. Two. One. Action. Welcome to OVS Orbit, the podcast for open vSwitch users and developers. Episode 19. And here's your host, Ben Pfaff. Thanks, Cassie. Cassie begged to do another intro, so there it is. This episode is an interview with Josh Bailey from Google's New Zealand office about the Fawcett Open Source SDN controller. I've been aware of Josh's open source activities for a few years, but this was the first time I'd actually encountered him in person when he came into the Bay Area to attend the Open vSwitch 2016 Fall Conference. Also joining the interview is Shiva Ramisor, who has been working on Fawcett on behalf of the Open Networking Foundation. I run into Shiva from time to time, and he's always a good advocate for his projects. Finally, this episode is my first use of some new recording equipment that I bought. We recorded in a noisy hotel lobby, and I still need to buy some more quality microphones, so unfortunately, you'll hear a lot of background noise whenever Shiva or I speak. On to the interview. Hello everyone, I'm uh, talking to Josh Bailey today. Josh is a network and software engineer with an interest in SDN who works for Google from their New Zealand office. Yes, uh, so I've been working for uh, Google for almost about uh, 12 uh, years. I used to work on the production side, so I used to run the team that built Google's network management system. Um, But now I've got a more unusual for Google role, which is quite outward facing. Normally, Google people can run away if you try and talk to them, but my job is to be a bit more engaging than that. And my area is network research. That's pretty exciting. Uh, it, usually it is pretty hard to talk to somebody uh, from Google, uh, especially if you you know want to re- record it. Yes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> when I, I asked you about it, the approval came really quickly. Uh, I was I was pleasantly surprised also. Um, but actually, there may be also uh, uh, say, um, at least for, for me, thank you for OVS. Oh, um, uh, like you're welcome. If we, if we hadn't hit it, then I don't know where we'd be. Oh, yeah. well. so thank you. You know, we, we worked with Google uh, fairly early on uh, when we were uh, working on uh, um, OVS and, and some of the, the software that uh, uh, went, went along with it. And uh, also here with me, I have uh, uh, Shivaram uh, Misori or uh, Shiva. So, yeah, Shivaram Mysore, but Mysore is fine. Okay. Uh, Shiva is even better. <laughs> And uh, well, uh, I've I've run into you several times over the years, and uh, what the the two of you have in common uh, right now is that you're both involved with Fawcett and SDN controller. One of you, do, do you want to, to tell me what's the big idea uh, behind uh, Fawcett? Sure. So um, I think one of the the chief problems with SDN is um, uh, it's kind of hard to realize its benefit if you can't deploy it, and until relatively recently it's been pretty challenging uh, to deploy. And there've been multiple reasons uh, for that. So the, the early adopters um, have their own you know, reasons, so they're highly motivated to do it and they'll find a way to do it. Um, but for people that uh, perhaps are either skeptical about it or not systems people, um, you know, handing them a pile of software you know, versus um, an appliance like in the form of a router is, is, is a huge step. Um, and there are some great controller projects um, underway um, you know, ODL, ONOS, those projects um, have pretty grand visions, very ambitious and taking us in some pretty interesting directions. Um, but uh, we were hoping to, um, to start with a, a project that would kind of help you along the, uh, along the way. 
So what Fawcett is, um, is a kind of drop-in replacement for a conventional non-SDN switch. Um, and so the idea is for you to be able to take out a, a regular non-SDN switch, uh, replace it with an OpenFlow um, hardware switch generally, but you can have software, and uh, this controller, and then have it run in your network. Then you realize that the, the fibers aren't melting and the sky hasn't fallen. And then once you've got your head around that, you can start to, to, to play around with it and, and explore um, what you can do with STN. That sounds really great. Uh, do you want to add anything, Shiva? I think the biggest challenge that we faced was in the last five years since I've been working on uh, OpenFlow and STN, we have always had the problem of, okay, this works, okay? People talk about performance and all kinds of other things, but when it comes to really deploying something and coming out of user experiences as to what is it that the customers really want, was a big challenge. And one of the things that this project at least has helped us to do is that we are exclusively focused on deployments and we are focused on use cases. While the controller itself can be deployed in so-called any segment, enterprise campus, uh, service providers, or data centers, we also said, let's not try to boil the ocean. Let's look at just use cases and focus only on enterprises and campus segments to start off with so that we can address a problem for the customer in an SDN way and show them the real power of this and then move on to the, all the other things. And that is the mission that we are on right now. Uh, to me, that, that does seem unique. Uh, when I talk to people about STN controllers, uh, uh, ODL and ONOS in particular, they always seem to emphasize scale. And it's really interesting to, to hear from people who are more interested in the, the other, other parts of, of the spectrum. And it, it, it's also, just off the top of my head, strange to hear Google not talking about scale. <laughs> well, perhaps if um, uh, another way to, uh, to put it, um, it might be a bit revealing of my age. So growing up, I had a cousin who had a, a, a VIC-20 computer. So um, a VIC-20 to me is the, the equivalent of a, an OpenFlow 1.0 system. So it's like you can do some things, but as soon as you try and do something interesting, you run out of memory. So you need something a little bit more. And the next step up is the, the first computer that I got, which is the Commodore 64, which is a little bit challenging to program, but you can still do you know, amazing things with that machine. Um, and the other end of the spectrum might be, say, like an Amiga. Like my, my rich cousin had an Amiga, and I'd always wanted one of those, but I, I'm never going to get there. Um, but you can't imagine, oh, that's how people got started. People at my age grew up with Commodore 64s. They started programming that way, and they went, they went bigger. So I'm imagining that we could do the same with Fawcett. We, we were a, a PC family. We had a leading edge Model D. That was my, oh, uh, my, my first computer. Rich kids. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, strangely enough, uh, my, my mom was a programmer, so uh, we always had a computer uh, uh, in the house. Let's uh, dive in a little bit more uh, about Fawcett itself. When I've talked to Shiva before, he's really emphasized how it's, it's easy for people to, uh, to start developing applications uh, for Fawcett. So, uh, is that, is that what you think of as, as one of the emphases, and uh, how, how do you make that easier for people? Okay, well, so the, well, the first thing is um, I have to uh, emphasize one very important uh, starting point, which is um, I have contributed a bunch of code to it, but I didn't write the system originally. So it was developed by, by two people mainly in New Zealand, Chris Laurier and uh, Brad Cowie, and so they really kind of got us started. And the idea was to kind of boil down uh, things to the absolute essentials and then add in kind of only what you need. And it turns out for 
like a layer two, layer three switch, you, you don't need much. But the, the thing that we saw in observing how SDN was, was being adopted you know, very slowly was there was a, um, a couple of negative kind of patterns. And one pattern was people felt that they had to write an open flow controller over and over again. So you saw a million copies of, of these different pieces of software. Um, but we also saw that the idea of a, a layer two, layer three switch was such a useful concept that once you had one, you could use it to build much bigger things. So I thought, okay, the first thing was was to build a, a small, uh, simple, relatively scope-limited um, uh, open source controller that just tried to be a, a switch. Um, then the next thing that we, we wanted to do was um, not get stuck in abstraction heck. Um, and so there are a lot of very clever, uh, motivated people trying to figure out the, the perfect abstraction for topology and what switches should do. I'd say probably the the most contemporary example, of course, is P4, which is pretty expressive and, and amazing. But in between that, there are a lot of things in OpenFlow that are in many ways good enough, like that we can we can use to get started. Um, and we can also we can always come back and circle back and improve performance and, and do things. But we found that the OpenFlow 1.3 plus multi-table plus um, some code that you could get into and write you know, tens of lines versus hundreds of lines, that seemed to be about the sweet spot to, uh, to get functionality in a reasonable time with relatively little effort. So now I'm really interested in what are the abstractions that, that Fawcett provides? Uh, are you dealing directly with OpenFlow messages or is it at a, at a higher level? Ah, <laughs> okay, well, this is yeah one of the other distinguishing features. So the short answer is it's, it's basically just OpenFlow. Um, and this is, uh, this is very deliberate for a number of reasons. Um, so one is that we support a number of hardware-based uh, switches, and we so we had good conversations with a number of vendors: uh, HPE, Novaflow, Corsa, um, Allotelesis, um, among some others. And we're able to have a conversation saying, "There's the OpenFlow spec, but then there's some really critical pieces about the spec." And the most important one was tables. Once you have tables, you can say if then. If you don't have tables, you can only go if and 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 that makes code pretty annoying to write. But if you have if-then, things get kind of amazing. Then we next uh, said was, um, we are not going to have any vendor-specific code in there, so it's only going to be OpenFlow. And so it was a bit of a challenge to say, can we express these kind of useful concepts in a, in a compact way without needing too many flows in a way that we can support a lot of different hardware vendors at different scales? And it turns out the answer is yes. That's pretty impressive. Uh, when I've talked to other people who work with uh, OpenFlow hardware switches, usually they tell me that you need to basically re-implement things for each switch that you support. Uh, what's what's different about um, Fawcett that you can avoid that? Um, well, to be, to be fair, it's actually the, uh, uh, the vendors that um, enabled this rather than, than us. We sort of provided some impetus, like to say we're going to set a challenge that you know, if you can provide this minimum um, specification that it can be done. Um, and say so there's a great example, so there's one vendor that is Broadcom-based that's done a really quite impressive job. And I think if you talk to, to many people working with Broadcom hardware, they will tell you a lot about the various limitations and special cases. And we wrote, robustly kind of said to this vendor, you know, can you see what you can do? And what they did is is use the, you know, the fantastic thing known as OVS, to, that's our, our API to their hardware. And just like the offloading discussion that we saw in the conference today, this vendor um, opportunistically puts flows from OVS into hardware where it can. And if it can't for some reason, then it tells you. And this is awesome for programmer productivity because you, as you're sitting there writing controller code, you can just get something that works. 
and then you get the immediate feedback, ah, you know, this could be faster, this could be slower, but they've taken care of that transparent case. So it's still the same Broadcom hardware. On the other side, in a more, say, like OFDPA approach, you're like, well, if it's Tuesday and the packet's blue and it's UDP, uh, then maybe you can match on table 37. That's a killer. And I think that um, the evidence is that with lots of really smart people on the bigger controller projects, they're spending lots of their time writing drivers and not so much time writing the control plane code that lets you you know, do something interesting with the network. I think it also gives us an, uh, an opportunity to build the pipelines in software and push it down to the hardware. And I think we are just scratching the surface in terms of software-defined networking. And I think we still have a lot of room to grow and a lot of understanding to happen in terms of what is the best way. How do we know that this pipeline that is stuck in hardware is the correct way to do things? We don't get to experiment, and I think doing all of these things in software has given us that ability to experiment with certain things. And today, I mean, we have around six or seven tables that we use. We still don't support MPLS because it's not a big use case for a campus or an enterprise segment. Do we have that in the roadmap? Okay, we will add it, but it can be on the seventh table or eighth table or whatever it is, and they, then we may have to realign everything. Or, here is another case. If you take an enterprise and the enterprise says, hey, this is a secure environment wherein I support only these things, so why do you have to build all the other things and put more firewalls and rules saying, okay, don't do that, don't do this, and that kind of stuff. But instead, you can just have probably four tables to do exactly those kinds of things, push it down, and make things happen. I think those are the kinds of advantages that we are actually seeing that we could actually enable, and this faucet is just an example so that we can show it to people that we can actually do all of these things. And we have always focused on deployments, and one of the things that we will talk about, we're focused on deployments, you're uh, saying, okay, hey, this is a use case for this deployment, let's go see what kind of features do we have and how do we build them. And we also don't talk about much, don't talk much about speed and performance. We are going to say, okay, let's deploy this and see what is really their problem here. And then we will go address those things. And it's worked out very well for us. It sounds like a super practical way to build things. So when I've talked to you before, Shiva, one of the things that's really stuck out at me is how it, it sounds like you've done a lot of work in making sure that Faucet works well with uh, super low-end switches that people can afford to buy and experiment with. Uh, how, how, does that, how did that work out? I, I haven't heard other controller projects talk about these low-end switches at all. I think that's a great point. I mean, one of the things that we really, we focused from very early on was that we wanted to get a few things right. One is that we did not want to boil the ocean in terms of installation and hardware requirements and that kind of stuff. We wanted installation that was inexpensive, cheap, and so that people can actually get something going in a very short period of time. People don't have patience today. Okay, we want, it's a, it's a land of instant gratification. So we said, okay, we will get it installed in 30 seconds. Okay, we also wanted to make life simple. Okay, we just stuck to one programming language, Python. Okay, we said, okay, no more Ansible, no more Puppet, Chef, and C, and all of that stuff. All of those things are great. Okay, don't get us wrong. But let's simplify 
because in that way what happens is that we can get better developer productivity, the tool chains and all the other things, okay? The other thing is that we were also focused on applications in order to get this thing right. So in order to make all of these things happen, we wanted to make sure that we had a test environment that can actually work. So if we had Mininet, okay, that can actually work with this, with the complete test suite, that solved one problem. But as we also know from having done a lot of uh, software development, writing in a simulate writing in a an example or an application and running it against a simulated environment versus real hardware is totally different okay so we wanted a methodology wherein we can say hey can we run the same test suite on hardware we could do that because as Josh talked about we wanted all the vendors to just support open flow okay with multiple table support so they gave us a completely clean programming environment in terms of making all of those things happen. So you, what that we did was, we just basically said, okay, here is a configuration file that you can go just change from saying Mininet to hardware of this specific kind, and we will just make sure that we will run that entire test suite that you just ran on your application on this hardware. And voila, it started to work. And I think that has been very productive for many of our deployments to say, hey, we have written this application and it works on Mininet. We tested it on a small piece of hardware and the small piece of hardware in one case was a Zodiac, which is a four port open flow switch from uh, northbound networks. It costs around uh, 75 US, I think, something like that, okay. So you get a complete 1.3 open flow system working and then you run it against that and then you can run it against Allied Telesis or Noviflow, any, any one of those things. In fact, in the SDN Hackfest uh, event that we had in Bangalore, India, uh, a few months ago, we had a team develop um, database integration with uh, Fawcett, Couch TV. Fantastic, they said we had given them as a development tool, not only the Mininet and everything, but also a Zodiac with Raspberry Pi running as the controller uh, for Fawcett. So we wanted to make sure that that actually works. So when they did all of that stuff, they said, hey, uh, we are ready. And we said, okay, fine, come on in. What's the controller IP? We just took it. We actually gave them, we programmed our live switch, which was serving the wireless for the entire Hackfest of 150 clients. Everybody was connected through that. And we just pointed them to that. And their database got 24,000 flows installed. And that was an eye-opener for us and for them. Okay, to, to put a live network on the spot and just connect it and make everything work without crashing and burning. I think, I think we've just proved that you can take from development to deployment with a lot of confidence without having to kill yourself. That's pretty fantastic. So this morning, uh, Stephen Stewart was uh, showing off a, a, a tiny switch and a, a tiny controller, uh, I think. And what what was that? What what was that hardware? Uh, so um, I had a previous name for it, which uh, now I now I can't say because he has the, a better name for it. He calls it a Pizod, um, so which is a combination of a Raspberry Pi and a Zodiac uh, switch. And he's very proud of uh, the name and the and the implementation. Fawcett has extremely low resource requirements, so it's quite heavy running on a on a Pi. And in that case, it's controlling a little Zodiac uh, switch. 
but as Chibi just pointed out, the same code with the same comfort file will control like another switch. So it's, um, it's held together with rubber bands because you can take the rubber bands off, connect it to a, you know, an allotelesis switch, for example, and it will do the same thing in the same way. Uh, in fact, when we did one, we actually did one deployment like that in uh, in Europe. The deployment team there is looking for a was it uh, Giant? They were um, trying to find a machine to use and they couldn't find one. And they kind of half jokingly like, oh, we'll use a Raspberry Pi, and then put it in production and it sat there for months um, because it was perfectly fine. And um, you can see it's actually not that big a surprise. In a non-STN switch, you typically have a, a cost optimized SOC thing that's being the switch controller. So in principle, why shouldn't something with the same resource requirements work fine. Um, and on performance, the, it's the same hardware you know, that's moving the packets. So once it's decided which way the packets go, it's the silicon, the, the actual hardware switch doing all the work. So it sits there 90% of its time you know, doing nothing. Um, but that's his, um, uh, also his uh, educational tool. Like he has an idea that this is the way that people will first engage with how to do STN at scale. Like you, uh, you have one of these things and you can take it home with you, you can reboot it, you can reflash it, whatever, and once you've got comfortable, just change the control plane connection and you know, away you go at it, at maybe with switch with 10G ports rather than you know, 100 meg. All right, so in fact, uh, that's actually one of the biggest differences, right, as compared to any other controller in the marketplace. This is actually an in-memory controller, so we don't really rely on disk or anything like that, so it's actually everything is in memory. And you can pl pull the plug and you can have another controller that is there and that can happily take over. I think that's another differentiation. Sure. So uh, a Zod Pi then is a Zodiac switch plus a, a Raspberry Pi. Um, how how much uh, how much does this combination cost? I've I've never bought these things. Um, so uh, depending on the Pi, um, like maybe twenty or thirty dollars, um, and then depending on I think the the Zodiacs now are in the in the region of seventy five dollars US. So for roughly a hundred dollars, you can have a controller plus switch uh, platform to experiment with. Yes. Yes. So you'd you'd probably spend more on the uh, the, the systems that you're testing. Yes. <laughs> yes. See, I mean that's a huge thing, right? Today, if you have a development team, okay and you have bought like $10,000 worth of switches, they're all sitting in data centers and racks. How are you going to test it, okay? Uh, but with this, you can actually put it on a desktop for the software developer, and he has the complete uh, access to actually test it, make sure everything is working, and he can see the connection signals, okay, he can see the link go up or down and everything. I, I think that's, that's the beauty of this. So uh, I've, I've heard quite a bit about this Hackfest hackathon that, that you ran in Bangalore. You told me about it. It sounded like you had several teams, and uh, most of them had no exposure to this uh, before they arrived, and still they were able to uh, build some applications. Uh, is, is that a, a, a good? Is that an accurate description? First Absolutely of all? yes. Uh, so uh, when we said, as I said before, what we. Uh, settled down on was just one programming language, which is Python. So for the Hackfest, the only qualifying criteria was that he needed to be an experienced Python programmer, at least around two to three years worth of experience because we did not want uh, the juniors to come in and just pad their resumes and that kind of stuff, and we did not have any time to explain to them about Python, okay? There right. Was, there was no tutorial given about SDN, nothing. Okay, all that, I, all that we gave them was just a URL to the GitHub, okay? And, but we did have a list of 15 projects that they could select, okay? 
teams of four, and there was a documentation person and a UX person. So they could use. So that's about it. So what I really want to hear about uh, regarding the, the Hackfest is what kinds of applications did people produce? And, and then uh, let, let, let's talk about a few of them. I'm really curious. Absolutely. So we were very specific in terms of what kind of applications that we wanted because all that we cared about was how do we make the faucet ecosystem better Okay, in terms of the entire controller. At that time, we did not have a NoSQL database integration so that we can actually take the flows from the switches uh, that the faucet managed and put them into a NoSQL, like a couch TV. Because today, so that you don't have to have a tooling to actually do search flows. Okay, hey, I want to know ETH, source, ETH underscore source equal to blah, and then you would actually have all that source. I mean, you would actually have all of the interface built into couch TV. You don't have, you don't have to have an API for that. So that was the reason. We had a Couch TV integration was one of the projects. We had a dynamic firewall project, okay? How do you take blacklisted domain names and IP addresses provided by uh, threat feeds, okay? And then program it straight into the um, switches, okay? For when you, so that when you get a BYOD device, you are automatically firewalled for certain things. Uh, then so, there was so perhaps maybe um, so there's one one feature that probably underlies like lots of these. So um, one of the faucet design concepts is try and make it look um, familiar uh, to a, a, a normal network operator without it being confining. So one of the um, uh, the key things there is we have something that we call a faucet ACL. So it's actually mostly just OpenFlow, um, but we just kind of made it just slightly easier to use. And the idea is a uh, like a regular ACL, you can pass things or drop things. But the ACL can also match things and then do something specific with it. So um, uh, you're mentioning about where Northbound API should go and kind of those things. So we actually um, don't even think about Northbound APIs. We think more about if you think of Fawcett as, a, as an OVS coprocessor, um, like uh, the hard you you have Fawcett have the hardware do some high touch things, um, steer the flows into you, um, and then you can do everything and the really high touch stuff and in kind of hybrid software. So the kind of other projects we had there, like being able to um, implement a captive portal. So you say, you know, something is, um, someone's now allowed in. You you tell Fawcett to change the LCL or change the VLAN on a port. Things that on a non-STN switch involve 1970s kind of expect scripts. On this thing, it's just, you know, send, a, send an RPC. So, and also Grafana dashboards and that kind of stuff. How do you take, one of the things that we do is that we actually take a lot of care in trying to make sure that the entire system is deployable and manageable from a network operator point of view. So we have integrations with uh, InfluxDB for real-time stats, OF stats, all, everything goes into InfluxDB, and then we expose them through Grafana dashboards. So how do you get better dashboards from this? What kind of things that we can do? Those are all the kinds of projects, which are all there to basically enhance the complete um, uh, ecosystem of uh, uh, from deploying faucet. You've talked a lot about deployments and your focus on them. Have you actually worked with lots of people on particular deployments? One of the issues, I might say, with, with OVS and OVN is that we know that lots of people are deploying it, but they generally don't come to us when they do it. We, we don't know who's deploying it, and it's hard to get a lot of feedback. Uh, people who try it out and decide that it's not for them, often, you know, we don't get that feedback, they just move on to something else. So have you had a, a good way to, to reach out to people who are deploying or thinking about yep. deploying and a actually work with them in some way? 
there's yeah, there's multiple layers to that problem. I think one of the ones that I underestimated is that there's still a certain stigma kind of around SDN, and um, even for some people that they've uh, set up Fawcett and they're using it, they they don't want to admit it to their peers <laughs> because it's just somehow you know it's it's breaking with industry practice. So I'm kind of laughing, but that's a kind of a, a genuine uh, problem. Um, and so part of, like, to feed the feedback cycle, like, you have to make it safe for people to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm using Fawcett, it's really no big deal, you know, nobody died. So we now start to get um, uh, people early on, you know, willing to say so kind of publicly. I think that's the, the first success that we had when Rians, you know, built the first version and deployed it. Um, they, they run their office on it. The printers run on it, the CEO tweets over it, just like taking care of this kind of basics. And once you've had that kind of personal safety kind of kind of conversation, then they go like, ah, you know, now maybe I'll think about I could do something a bit more adventurous, so I kind of add this. So that's that's been one way to kind of address it. The other way is um, it can be very challenging in talking with, with most operators in that they're not used to the idea of a switch or a router that you can take to pieces and recompose. So often the conversations um, and feedback about what features they want, are, you must support RFC 99999. And then you have to have a very long, tortuous conversation to say, but yeah, but, but why? Why is, that, why is that important? It might be important, it might not be. But we've tried to go from a kind of bottom-up saying, here's something that looks like a switch, and then come back and now we'll show you under the hood how it's doing what it, what it does. And then you, you start to get uh, the bit more you know, useful feedback like, oh, well, because we now have a distributed switching feature, they're like, well, I love spanning tree, but I hate it. And I'm like, okay, so tell us more about you know, spanning tree. And often people will use it because they, they trust it. It's been around for years. But you now start to have a much more useful conversation saying, well, but what, what if you could just change one thing? You know, those kind of conversations like, what if, if there's only one thing in the universe you could change to make life better, what would it be? And, and then the, the floodgates start to open a bit more. But you have to kind of address the, the kind of softer human factor kind of situation first. I think we also did one other thing. I think we basically said very early on in terms of saying, hey, let us talk about one use case that from a sales point of view it actually works. Though we are actually open source and that kind of stuff, we basically said, we want to deploy your guest wireless and we want it to be SDN enabled, okay? And that was the starting point of the conversation that, the, that anybody could actually understand. And at that point in time, uh, we actually approached Dan and said, hey, Dan, we were Dan Pitt, uh, who was the executive director at ONF. We basically said, we want you to deploy Fawcett, and what is it that we want? We want to run your wireless network for you, okay? And Dan said, okay, fine. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but wireless is important for us, okay, but, and, uh, but do you think that I could print? It's very important, I need to do WebEx, and I need to do all these voice over IP calls, plus, uh, do you think I can print from my uh, iPhone onto these printers? And we said, yes, okay. Then he said, what do I need? And I basically said, you need all of these kinds of equipment, okay? And he said, I need a production system, fine. He said, roughly it is going to cost you, including the racks, blah, 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 everything it costed around six grand for him, including wireless access points, everything was brand new. We put all of these things in his office and he was able to do it and I walked away, including the Grafana dashboards, network operations dashboards. He had a TV monitor which was showing all of these things, live stats and everything. Whether anybody looked at it or not, that's totally irrelevant. But the thing is, 
from the day that we started and i walked away okay even if he made that call saying hey this is not working i need help and if i started from my house it would at least take me 45 minutes to get to his office but i never got the call okay and they have been running it since may and all the way up until now and it's working like nobody's business right and we're speaking in november so it's been about 6 months it has been about 6 months it's fantastic right that is what we are talking about and again this is in a closed environment right so then we said for all the onf members during the onf member work day we said we will take the challenge we will deploy it for all the uh, for the conference wifi and you have been to many conferences he has been to many conferences we always have a problem get trying to get an ip address sometimes okay uh, we have this oh it's conference wifi okay uh, haven't we heard that before so we go and we deploy this the same kind of a network that we have deployed in dan's office uh, at uh, onf member work day two days uh, and we made it work with the hotel infrastructure so it was at the marriott so they had their own wiring systems and that kind of stuff so we put in one more in one more poe switch we had seven access points same switch and everything so within a span of two days we handled uh, 220 plus uh, users and we handled 8 gigabits worth of traffic uh, so that went through so everything was there people could look at it they had all the dashboards and everything and nobody complained about an ip address being dropped so they went from one place to the other they got the same ip address when they came came back the next day they got the same ip address we could be more happier that's great uh, i feel lucky when conference wifi works at all so <laughs> when it works well that's really great shifting to a, a slightly different topic so uh, you had a an article in acmq uh, recently or maybe it's still coming out i'm i'm not sure just being published yeah and it focuses on devops practices for networking with faucet so if i understand the idea right then it's that we want to be able to enable rapid innovation in networks the same way that we might enable uh rapid innovation in applications with with devops uh, practices so t- to me this sounds exciting but immediately i start worrying about the risk if if i was going to set up a network on these principles then i'd immediately worry about pushing a change that completely breaks the network and then i can't b- get back into the switches even to fix it and uh you know as an author of of software that uh, that that runs a network i would be pretty worried about that and what i really want to hear is how do you reassure yourself and your your users that this makes sense Um well I think like most developers I am kind of committed to the principle of depending upon what I write myself. So like the first part of that in DevOps I think it's necessary that you know the author of the software has to use what they produce. And uh I like to say that my my boss's wife's email depends on on Fawcett right. So I I'm in trouble if that doesn't work. The next part of that is I think that since people started building very large routers and and I'm a recovering network router vendor from a long time ago you know I won't say who but I'll say like a very large router operating system was very complex my favorite part of the code was um a 10,000 line switch case statement that had uh, five levels of ifdefs and some comments in there saying please do not cut and paste this code and that comment had been cut and pasted kind of everywhere that sounds so, horrible it was um I prefer a thing amazing. <laughs> so, well, that's another way to look at it. Um, but yeah, like the I I won't say that we would be the the only kind of vendor in that situation and there's you know valid reasons to get there like you you have to crank out a lot of code to get a lot of features to get um to make your customers happy to ship it on time. Um that's a challenge, so that's how the how the problem starts. Um but once you you have that you have you know something that 
lots of interdependent parts. It's very tricky to test. Your your customers are skeptical that you know the code's going to work the first time, so things kind of um, go to months. So it sounds like a, a little bit kind of trite, but part of the solution is just don't write all that code in the first place. The first part is you know force it is maybe for the mainline code. I'd say it's, it's maybe two two and a half thousand lines of code. And famous last words, you know, Bill Gates, 640K is enough for anybody. I'd be surprised if it gets about four times the size because we've got quite a clear idea of its scope, where it sits. And if you think of this as, um, so you're saying, you know, this network code is vital. If you think of Fawcett as like your autonomic, your nervous system, it's like a small important piece of your brain, but it keeps you breathing and it reacts to to high priority threats before your conscious mind um, sets in. So you keep that code small and you test the heck out of it. So the, the standard kind of DevOps process that we use, someone sends a PR, you know, we make sure that the tests pass. We have a, a hardware uh, bridging uh, facility, so once you've caught your problems at development time, then you move to the next level, which is you, you change a setting in a config file and it will bridge in a real hardware switch and run all that battery of tests on it to make sure. And then the next stage is then you can have a conversation with operations about, you know, we've got some confidence this thing will, will work. And in my own case, I'm actually so, I'm going to say I'm so confident about its essential simplicity and, and stability. So I run it at home. I, I can't work without it. And I call people on a, uh, on a Hangout and say, um, I'm now going to restart the controller while I'm on the call. And most of the time, they don't even notice the blip. And then I'll say, uh, I now invite you to upgrade your router to do the same thing. Um, and obviously, they can't. Um, and I think as a, as a recovering router vendor, you know, you pay a lot for high availability and you may even get it, but no operator is voluntarily going to go in and, and restart the system. You know, you would never voluntarily risk that. But with this thing, we restart web servers all the time. You know, we restart kind of things all the time. So why shouldn't something that's actually a smaller code base, you know, should be able to do that and, and more? So we make the idea of actually terrifying things like high availability and those things make it kind of a routine part of the operation and you start to get pretty confident you know still wary you know trust but verify but you start to get confident with what you can do Um, but also on the other side you have to insist on keeping that managing that code keeping it small making sure that um, big complex features don't get in there or if there are big complex features that they're appropriately isolated so you can can really understand how it works. Is it a fair to say that there's a couple of different things at play? First of all, the code's small, so you can understand all of it. And second, that it's well-tested. Yes. So I'd like to say there's a, I have a magic answer, but that's, that's basically that's it. Yeah, we just today, standard engineering. Today, we have around 5,000 lines of code in, uh, for the entire code base. And additionally, we have another uh, 22, 2,300 lines of test code. So that's there. And additionally, uh, Josh runs it, I run it in my house, and we have all of these other players uh, who are also constantly running the latest code to make sure everything is done. Plus we have the Travis integration on our GitHub. Travis is great. Travis is awesome. Okay, Docker and all the other things. So we have a few places more wherein uh, it actually works uh, to make sure, we make sure that everything is tested completely. Well, I think there's, there's maybe one, one thing to summarize also. There's a, there's a certain attitude to running it. So, you know, we all fly on planes, and for a certain proportion of the, the flight, it's, it's not a human flying it, right? And, but we don't think twice about that. But, yeah, we come to a, a conference, and we're amazed that the Wi-Fi works, right, on the other scale. And um, that's a little sad, um, but why couldn't it be 
like autopilot quality and I think in principle it can and we can push it that way. Well from a certain perspective I'm, I'm glad that networks aren't as crappy as airplanes. Ah, is there too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. So what's the future for Fawcett? Um, are you going to do more hack fests? Or are you doing things to try to bring new developers on board? What, what are your goals for, uh, I don't know, the, the coming year or, or more? Um, well, we've got uh, quite a number of goals. So the first one, I guess that's the thing that we started with is, is more uh, deployment so we can keep the, the feedback cycle coming. I think uh, that's kind of the, the, the most important thing. Um, the other one actually, and, and I think that will bring in not only kind of contributors but also ideas as well so we've certainly got our own ideas about what's important but you know we actually need to hear more from the community about what's important to them but specifically uh, one thing that I'm working on at the moment apart from extending control to Wi-Fi is uh, experimenting with distributed switching so I think there's a lot of people who have studied um, distributed switching in different ways and there are, there are lots of pretty interesting theories about how we might be able to do better um, and I think this is a great opportunity to try and do that um, and what that specifically means is in um, uh, large layer 2 fabrics are quite common um, and troubleshooting uh, Nick McEwen mentioned like ping and trace route to begin with troubleshooting large layer 2 fabrics is especially challenging actually because ping and trace route won't necessarily work for that so um, uh, taking another go at this so we we have a basic um, distributed uh, switching feature now that's kind of rack centric so you might imagine a couple of force controllers and then a rack full of open flow switches that together operate as one switch experimenting some different ways to uh, to do that I think it's the main thing I'm working on what about you I, I think uh, I, I mean we really want to get more uh, deployments up and running so that's that's the main focus and especially what we are also focused on is Wi-Fi we did some experiments with OpenWRT uh, and OVS, which is built in, built in that, uh, built on top of it. And uh, what we have been able to do is that use faucet to control it and that kind of stuff, which makes it easier for somebody to go buy something from Amazon or whatever it is and be able to deploy something, okay? What we are learning, I think, is having more deployments and customers being able to tell us what is it that works well for them what is it that doesn't work for them? Well, work work well for them, and how we can actually fix it. I think the cool, the most two two most important things are, which we need to get is uh, we need to get better dashboards, okay, for network operators, so that they can actually see and understand what the heck is happening, like bandwidth utilization and so on and so forth. How can we add more instrumentation to that? On the other side, in terms of getting more and more Wi-Fi, in terms of captive portals and more and more use cases around that, okay. And uh, one of the cool things that, I mean, one of the things that I'm actually currently working on is uh, getting IPv6 to work correctly, okay? So uh, here is something that I learned. I mean, we thought we had already taken for granted that we could actually do easily IPv6. Well, it's actually a nightmare to get an IPv6 DHCP relay. Oh, why is that? Oh, uh, great question. So I had to go research, and while you get DHCP v4 relays in most of the routers, okay, um, you get an inbuilt DHCP v6 server, not a relay, in most of the routers, okay. You have to go to Juniper MX series or something like that, or high-end Cisco, in order to get DHCP v6 relays. Now. I am running my own DHCP, ISC DHCP servers with v4 and v6 support because 
we want to enable features like how can you protect your DHCP server, how can you uh, um, disable DHCP uh, IP spoofing and that kind of stuff, some of the use cases that only SDN can actually provide, okay? So in order to do that, I need my own DHCP server that I can actually control. I want to do more things with it. And to do that now, the way that I have actually gone about is PFSense supports actually DHCP v6. So you go back to PFSense to actually do some of these things. And I never knew that this was going to be so hard. Okay, so those are the kinds of things which you will only find out if you're trying to deploy something in reality and trying to do it the network operator way. And because we can understand code and we can write code, we can come back and say, oh, no, you know what? We all talk about this very lightly, but this is not really a light subject. We need to really handle these kinds of situations. I think those are the kinds of things. Thank you both. Uh, we've been talking for a, a long time, so maybe we should try to, to wrap up. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to make sure that people know? One thing uh, I mentioned kind of in passing briefly, but um, I really think that the, the combination of a hardware offloaded OVS uh, machine plus uh, faucet, like, um, I really think it's, it's not a, um, uh, you know, OVS isn't a faucet coprocessor, like it's actually faucet is an OVS coprocessor. Um, the idea to, to do that, because there are lots of service chaining and NFE kind of examples. And in the article, there's that diagram of like you, you take out a conventional router and replace it with a switch plus faucet plus OVS. Um, I'm, I'm really, I think there's a lot of potential in that. I think people should get deployments done. I think we can get a lot more cheaper deployments done for a few hundred dollars and that kind of stuff or with their uh, throwaway Linux machines or and laptops and that kind of stuff, I think we can get all of those things uh, to put to better use. And we welcome more deployments and go check out uh, github.com, Rian's faucet, or, or just type faucet SDN uh, on YouTube and you will get good videos all right. install it. All right, that's a, a good place to, to wrap up. Do you want to add anything more about resources? We always love pull requests, yes, all as right, well as feedback. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, well, thank you both very much. Thanks thanks for uh, thanks for doing this uh, show. Thank you. You're welcome. OBS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons Attribution Unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OBS Orbit, visit OBSOrbit.org. For more information about OpenVSwitch, visit openvswitch.org.